Hello and welcome to the Charmed Life Podcast. My name is Trisha Carr and I am your host here. This podcast is about magic, metaphysics, mysticism, and the unconditional love of the universe. And this episode is focusing on mysticism and what we might also call myth. Because this episode is going to talk about some of the beings of nature and really of the planes that our spirit and nature combined and to do with not just this planet, but in fact, while we experience them as here tending to and with the dealings and the doings and the beings of this planet, these these types of beings that we'll be talking about are also, they're intergalactic and they're there are some who are overseeing realms that would include Earth and other star systems. So at any rate, I'm going to break it down for you a little bit. This episode is called Fairies, Fawns, and Leprechauns, Mythic Beings Who Are Ascended Guides. Let's start with one of the words that I used in that title, and that is mythic. I think that mythic or the myth word is a word that has been associated with the idea of something being false or fantasy or something that isn't true or accurate or real in any way. And in fact, what a myth is, it is a way for us to engage in an energy. And so essentially, it is almost, I would say that if you take angels, archangels even, the names and characteristics, colors, symbols, all of the details that we associate or ascribe to the archangels, like Michael, his protector, his name is Michael, he is usually called he, he has his sword, and he is associated with royal blue and purple and all of this. It is, that is actually, that content is myth. And that doesn't mean that it's not real. I like to think of myth almost as portal, a portal, a, w- a benchmark, a way for us to access an energy. When I'm teaching about archangels or, or any particular spirit being, I always make sure that I say that, you know, Michael is not limited to these details or this name. Michael is an infinite resource of energy and is so much more than we would experience him or it. And you know, so are humans. And so so are, are any and all things that we perceive. We perceive it through our filters. And so the details about Michael are mythic portal benchmark kinds of imagery that we utilize to be able to have a real resonance with the energy that is Michael. And yet, those details are also true and real. They are honored. So keep that in mind as we talk about the the idea of myth. I think that myth has been juxtaposed to science and reality and truth and accuracy. But in fact, myth has also has also been in the hist- in our history much longer in um use as a way to record, as a way to actually observe. And it's in and of itself, it is sort of a part of or perhaps even the formula for observational sciences, the ancient ones. 
So that's what I mean when I say myth. I, I would like for us to be comfortable with our exploration of myth, because our exploration of myth is the exploration of the interbetween, of the liminal spaces. And the liminal spaces, which liminal really means like threshold, it's that in-between space of nature and spirit, the in-between space, the subliminal, the, the, um, the space where the most of reality is. I say the most of reality because it would be the feeling and sensing as well as the grounded and materialized. We are inclusive of more of that and our filters are looser. So we are, we are actually rejecting less when we move in these liminal spaces. This is why we meditate. This is why we pray, chant. This is why we do any creative act because it loosens our filters and allows us to become more of who we truly are by welcoming more of our true soul light. And that's what it's like when we connect with these ascended guides, the ones of nature, the ones having to do, having an experience in the natural realms and in the realms of where you might source myth and legend. Now, I want to say that also some of the myths and legends, they're actually outdated in their content. If we're talking about leprechauns or if we're talking about fairies and you're going into the cultural legends or oral histories, some of the things that are attributed to either these beings or you know the, these different stories, they may be fear-based and they, they simply are outdated. They're antiquated because they're dealing with with issues that we no longer deal with in the, you know, from a society that was built upon a much more aggressive survival, uh, uh, you know, immediacy than we have now. I mean, we, we kind of still feel like we have that aggressive, immediate survival need, but we were not battling with flesh and we were not, I mean, we are not as we were then. And simply, we've just moved into a different age. You know, from the time of many of these legends, we were still in a different kind of uh, lifespan. We were more in a Saturnian lifespan, meaning, you know, like old age was 40 <laughs> in some of these mythic and, and uh, legendary referencing periods. And now it's twice that. And it's a Uranian life cycle. It's twice as long or more the average lifespan. And that's just one tiny example of how things are different. And one example of the age in which we live is different. So what we can retain from the oral histories or the myths and legends that would be from times gone by are the things that are inspiring. Because when we say inspiring, we're saying to be filled with spirit or to be filled with love. And that feeling of resonance is the same as the feeling of truth or the same as the feeling of love. And only love and resonance or truth stands the test of time. I like to reserve the word truth for something which is accurate and true from all perspectives. So it exists on all dimensions. It is omnidimensional. A reality is something that is filtered and it is a piece or of an experience. It is a perspective. 
we've put many lenses on it. It's like I put on rose-colored glasses, and that is that reality that I am perceiving. If I take off the glasses, I have no lenses to filter out the light and the energy then I have more of what can be perceived as truth. So only truth or love, you might say, is omnidimensional and stands the test of time. So if you're inspired by an oral history or a legend of leprechauns or any of these beings, then I would say use that information. But I also would hold loosely to any of the details. That's what I usually say as well when I'm teaching about mystical and metaphysical energies. So let's talk about why we would connect with fairies, fawns, leprechauns, or any of these guides or beings of, of uh, you know, spirit and nature. Well, I want to tell you that they are real. I was just talking about what reality is versus truth. And to those who are who have their consciousness tuned to the frequency of it, these realms are just as real as the material 3D realm. And if that interests you, then you can have that deep experience while also being connected to this realm of the 3 and D, 3 and 4D, excuse me, the three, the third dimension and fourth dimension, which is where the human race tends to dwell upon. You can include these inner planes and these higher planes if that is a part of your interest or if it is a part of probably what I would say is your calling or your soul's blueprint. And so if you're here, maybe it is. <laughs> you probably have that in common with me and other people who would come to this podcast. And so I just want to give you that, that it is real. And what you may have experienced when you were a child, which I'll take that back and say what you did experience as a child, what children experience, and some of us remember it and some of us don't, and that doesn't mean it didn't happen for you if you don't remember it. That is accurate. That is real. And it is true because what you are perceiving does exist on all of the dimensions. It is omnidimensional, fairies, fawns, leprechauns, and, and other beings of these spectrums of light. They actually do even exist in our third dimensional plane. However, their existence is filtered out by the perceivers of human beings or, you know, the, the perceiving mechanism, which filters out certain light spectrum and filters out certain energies that are not as immediately impactful on the physical life. Now, I say immediately impactful, meaning they can't physically harm you because they aren't the same kind of dense physicality that we are. And so as while we are not living in that immediate survival kind of um, culture, we still have really old tuning to that kind of immediacy that the most important thing to pay attention to is physical threat. And yet then we... We uh, have ourselves submerged in a world of imaginal, of imagery, meaning the internet. And that's basically, as I've, I've done episodes before, where that's just the fourth dimension seemingly manifesting into our physical reality, but it's not actually physicalized. Well, at any rate, let's talk about some of these, some of these beings. We have, we, I'm, I'm focusing on fairies, fawns, and leprechauns, and as I said, these realms and these beings are real. 
as real as anything else in the physical plane. And the way that we perceive these realms and these beings are to raise your consciousness to that spectrum of light and existence. And I'm actually paraphrasing Edgar Cayce. Edgar Cayce, the sleeping prophet, one of the, uh, if you're not familiar with who he is or who he was, actually, I should say, um, he he lived in the uh, the turn of the century. He lived in the 20th century. Uh, I believe he was born in, in the late 1800s, but correct me if I'm wrong. I don't remember his exact uh, birth lifespan. But uh, he was, he's one of the most uh, prolific and, and I guess you would say famous or well-known prophets of our um, current history. And so, you know, Edgar Cayce perceived all kinds of beings, including the Fey realm. And, and he said the way, that, and the angelic, and he said that the way that we perceive, anyone perceives these realms or these beings is to raise your consciousness to it. The way we would raise our consciousness to it is to sort of mingle in the energy of it by something like this, like a podcast or a class or a book, or really just to immerse yourself in the positive contemplation of these beings and of these realms. And usually we do that by shared human experiences. So once again, you could read a book on uh, the Fey realm. And if it's got a kind of, to me, some of the times those will have a lot of, um, just for lack of a better word, junk information, things that really are outdated, a lot of, a lot of details that just feel like they're so heavy. But when they're, uh, when it's lighter, or when it has to do with just activities of help, support, light, play, dance, that's when I, it really feels like true fey energy to me, or at least the sustaining fey energy because the way that we engage with especially fairies it has to do with our own vibration well i mean not i shouldn't say especially fairies it's true of everything but fairies are very immediate and very responsive in the realms of nature or of the spiritual realms of nature and they are very dedicated and committed to nature so if we are if we are sort of not attuned to the loving and helpful vibration of nature they will do, this is how fairy get the, the um, reputation for being mischievous. They will do something to disrupt our, our, uh, our, the way that we are acting and stomping around on the planet. They will do something to interrupt our frequency to try to wake us up and bring us into alignment with that which interests them, which is the beauty of nature and the love and the tending to of nature. So we would raise our consciousness to be able to perceive them. So one way to do that is to mingle in the information or the contemplation of these realms and these beings. And secondly, to raise our consciousness means also to essentially raise our vibration. So to have a clean, energetic space. We would be in our meditation or, and or prayer, and we would be lifting our light quotient inside our being, drawing light into ourselves to crystallize the aura. And so this would be our meditation practice, taking ourselves into the spaces and places where purer and purer spirit dwells. This could also be done with our nature walks and our meditative movement, lovingly engaging with nature. This will raise our light quotient. This will raise our consciousness. 
So once again, as we look into some of these, I want to say only love stands the test of time. While some of the stories about fairies may be true to those people who recorded it at the time, it doesn't mean that it is true for the fairies. It was true for the people who were engaging at the time, perhaps. Let's talk about the fae. Now, this is a varied and various realm. And it is, it's really even more varied than just the human race, including how the human race has, and not just cultures and, you know, different ethnicities and the all languages and, you know, all of that. You think about also how the human race has infants and children and young adults, middle-aged people, elderly folks, so all of that range as well, that spectrum of maturity, development, and wisdom. The Fey Realm have, has that as well. However, their evolution isn't exactly the same as ours. So it's not necessary that it's not, necess not necessarily every fairy would go through that whole spectrum of maturity. Some are really attuned to a certain frequency of maybe it's let's just again for the sake of metaphor relative to young adulthood, maybe to relative to being five years old in the spectrum that they wouldn't really move beyond that. They are content and they are attuned and called to stay in that certain frequency. The Lightshine Spiritual Academy is excited to announce that the Energy Intensive is open for registration. The Energy Intensive is a six-week comprehensive program that teaches and activates energy healing modalities. This program is unique and cutting edge. It's designed to blast open your unique healing abilities. You will be immersed in a multitude of energy techniques. The Energy Intensive is perfect for anyone who is interested in healing and energy, and especially for intuitive people, for metaphysical seekers, and for spiritual practitioners. To learn more about the Energy Intensive by Crystal Ann Compton and Trisha Carr, click the link in the description of this episode. So they don't necessarily have, I mean, they don't really necessarily have a birth and death like we do. So therefore, they don't necessarily have a, an age progression. And some do. The ones who are wise and the ones who are developed and moving more toward a, a different kind of ascension to be guides and guardians over many, not only of the Fae and of their own realm, but also of other beings like humans they would go through a maturity cycle. So they would they would have the experience that is within them, like Russian nesting dolls. They would have the smaller dolls or the five-year-old, again, metaphor, within them. But then that doesn't mean that every fairy is going to do that path to go all the way to wisdom. And the reason I mention that is because if you engage with fairies, you are likely to get that youth, that exuberance, because the fairy realm is is largely attuned to that energy which to humans feels like play and dance but also of manifestation the childlike innocence children really being being in their in their their own space and 
playing make-believe, but while you're in that playing make-believe, in air quotes, the children, the child is really manifesting. The child is truly experiencing their make-believe. And, and, you know, I would prefer to say it as their imagery. They're experiencing. They are experiencing a reality. And this is why fairies love children, because children haven't put on all of that filtering to negate the spaces and places, the liminal spaces where realities are experienced. They haven't started the process of the forgetting quite as much as adult humans have. And so you may have fey guides, and the ones who are really wise enough to truly guide humans, there's, they're, they're the, they are rarer or fewer than I would say the bulk of fairy society, which have a lot to do with play, dance, and the manifestation energy because they are tending to nature. They are tending to, there's, there are fairies who are just tending to the leaf on one plant and having the most fun. And then when that goes through its life cycle, then they move on to another leaf and that's how they kind of experience cycles because they and they do love cycles, but they themselves may only stay in a certain tuning of that maturity, which is to preserve the frequencies of the play and manifestation, that creation energy. So you may have fairy guides, the ones who are wise enough to truly guide humans. They're not as many. And many of us who, if we're experiencing nature guides, it may actually be the devas, maybe the devic realm, because the devas are the overseers of the fey realm. These are the gnomes, sylphs, undines, and salamanders. They are the, and those all align with the four elements, like the gnomes oversee the element of earth. And you can, you know, I have podcasts and YouTube video on gnomes are real. And hopefully I'll remember to link it <laughs> below if I forget. Then just, you know, know that you can find it on this podcast and you can find it on the YouTube channel. At any rate, um, yeah, the the devas are a pure consciousness, and they are they are more of the management and a, a higher, more ascended guide energy. And so that's what you may actually be able to experience as a guide. They may feel like angels to some, even the devas, your devas, and everybody has devic guides. Everybody has at least one deva in each of the four elements, and you may have fairies as well. However, the ones who are truly wise enough to be guides. It's not so many of those, but fairies, they are really great as friends. (laughs) So you might, if if you're asking a fairy for, you know, help and wisdom on a situation, that might fall, fall on deaf ears for the fairy because they're like, that sounds boring. And also it sounds like human stuff that I just don't even understand or care about. And I'm not in that. And, you know, but they're good for play and they're good for demonstrating play. They are also good at smaller tasks or tasks that are oriented to their purpose. So if you have a garden, you may connect with your fairies in your garden, which you certainly have, and then just ask them how you can work together. And you may get information and you would do this in an altered state, in a lightly meditative state, pondering and contemplating and, you know, releasing so that you are in the subconscious space. And in that altered space, then state, then you would ask your fairies how you can work together. And the fairies of your garden will probably, their interests, their majors, probably have to do with the things in your garden. 
They may tell you about the moisture that is required in one place or another. They may tell you how to uh, create a better ecosystem. And that would be really important to them. And then they may also reward you because they're really good with manifestation. They may actually help to give you gifts because they love to do that. Again, everything's a party for a fairy. And at the same time, you could call the fairies in, even though everything's a party. They're also good at, at the cycles of life. So when something dematerializes, when something dies, the fairies, they do a mourning. They do a slowing down and they honor it. But it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt them the way that it hurts humans because they're so deeply connected to the cycles. So they slow down with the energy. They bless it and honor it. And then they are they they begin the rebirth cycle because whatever that plant, flower, tree, whatever it was that died, that dematerialized, is forming itself into something new. And so then they are enhancing that process and loving it. Now they so that it would be a, they they might be around you to cheer you up, and but it might not be so easy for them to relate to our grief process quite in the same way because our grief process usually includes well it it just does it includes illusion and the 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 um just the process of moving from one illusory state which is our relationship to someone or something is has to do with the only primarily with the physical experience of them and then shifting to the eternal existence which is actually the the more that that is the more real existence or of our relationship is the resonance of our souls and our hearts and so fairies kind of always have that they don't really have the illusion and so it's a little harder for them to relate to us and again, if we think about them as what their purpose is, it's really about more of the celebration and honoring, and they have great honor. The fairies have st a strong sense of honor, which is why when we, when we approach fairies, we want to make sure that we are honorable ourselves and also open to listen to what it is their purpose is. So we want to honor ourselves and we want to honor them. And their strong sense of honor is also what would make them seem to be mischievous because they would want to interrupt human beings if they were being dishonorable, especially to nature. And so that's how they might interrupt us. Um, I like to think of it as them just like trying to make sure that they help us to get back in alignment with nature. And that's what fairies are like. So they they may lose interest if you're asking them for things that are outside of their purview. If it's things that are about guiding you in in you know ways that are more attuned to the human experience, they just might lose interest because they just don't have the wisdom. That's just not their purpose to hold that much wisdom. So be with them in their play, their what feels like dance energy, manifestation talk to them about these things, and also just listen to what their interests are, and you will be deeply enriched by them. If you would like some more life guidance, then you might turn to your devas and, of course, your angels and all of the like. So that's a little bit about fairies, you guys. And I just want to say again that it doesn't really matter 
that it's not respected now at this current time, maybe in this Western culture. It's not respected to regard fairies as real. It's thought it was foolish. But you know what? If we zoom out and we, we first of all, look at other cultures like in Iceland, I've, I've heard that before they begin a new building project, they call in a mystic or a psychic, a clairvoyant, who can communicate with the nature spirits to make sure that they are not being disrespectful or dishonorable. And so, you know, <laughs> not not only that, but of course, in in the Irish culture, they still honor the wee folk. I, I read that, that, that there are many leprechauns, like over 300 leprechauns in Ireland who are currently protected by the state. <laughs> <laughs> I think because of their, there have been sightings of them, and so they are protected. So, you know, if we can just kind of loosen ourselves from the current cultural standards, because I think we've we've swung in the direction of of science, and that's a good thing, by the way. I I think science is fantastic, but I don't think science is everything. And the science and the arts used to be the same category, and and so now they've become more separated and science is real, and art is fantasy. However, I, I disagree. I think there is science in art, and there is art in science, and that's the way things really have more of a holistic application, if we can see them that way. So just uh, disregard any judgment, because once again, something that's judgmental is lacking love, and only love stands the test of time. Only love is omnidimensional. Now let's turn to my next subject, which is the fawn. I have to tell you how I came about talking about fawns, and that is I was listening to an audiobook, and it was just on um, angels and the elemental realms and the fairy realms, <clears throat> and it, it, this this author was citing some of Edgar Cayce's, um, you know, resource on this, some of his readings, what they called them, you know, some of his literature on his experience of these realms. And he's, he's mixed a bunch of other things in there as well. I believe it's a man. I, I, I'm not totally recommending it because it's it's not my favorite, but it's it's fine. <laughs> I'll just say that book is just fine. You could probably find one on Amazon that that you might like even better. So anyway, the reason I'm mentioning this is because I was listening to this audiobook just in the car as I was driving along, and I had gotten, I was still in the section where they were talking about angels and archangels, and I got out on my trail to go on my hike, and I particularly wanted to tap into the nature realm. You know, I made sure that I was really dedicating my hike to, not just to exercise, not just to some kind of achievement, like making sure my BPM was high and you know, all of that kind of stuff. I was burning calories. I wanted to make sure that I was connecting with Mother Gaia and with nature. So I start on my hike. And the first thing that I see, and I'm, when I say see, I mean with the inner senses, with my, with my third eye and with my uh, perceiving from my, my spiritual senses, the first thing I see on my trail is a fawn. And so a fawn is half human, half goat. So like a mythical creature. And I've never encountered a fawn before. Not I don't recall. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's just like Tumnus 
from the Narnia Chronicles, you know, from the Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe. And I, uh, I, I just, I was like, oh, hello, you know, and I just was feeling and it had a mass, a male, a kind of a masculine energy and very kind and very tall, really, really large. But then he made himself a little smaller in my mind's view so that he, we could feel more related to one another. And I said, is there a name that I can call you? And I always ask it that way because it's not not all fae and not all spirits would like to be regarded with a name. And um, he said to me, Edgar. And I was like, oh, oh, hey, wait a minute. I'm listening to a book that's talking about Edgar Casey, <laughs> And he's just kind of like, yes, yes, I wanted to, I wanted to acknowledge that, that experience of you listening to this book right now. And I was like, okay, that's fine. And I said, are you a part of Edgar Casey's energy? And he's like, oh, who, whose energy am I not a part of? And I was like, noted, okay. <laughs> and so we walked along and and he sort of left me because he stayed in one particular area that he was working in, but we still had a telepathic connection and I can telepathically connect with him right now. And as I say, his name is Edgar. His name isn't Edgar. It's just a way, something that he gave me again as a myth or a portal, as a benchmark of his energy for me to be able to access him like a door for, for me to walk through, to connect with him. And so... You know, I had my hike and I connected with many other fairies and uh, some salamanders and just it was really, really lovely. It was a very hot day, so it was it was very oriented to the fire element. And then I got back in my car and I went home, but then I had to drive somewhere else later. So it wasn't immediately after the hike, but it was shortly thereafter later that day that the book then finished its angelic chapter or chapters and started moving into the elemental chapters and started talking about Edgar Casey, some of the ways that he described different nature spirits and different fairies and everything. And they specifically started to talk about fawns. <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness, that's hilarious. And they in the font and that Edgar Casey described fawns as overseers of the animal realm of nature. So I thought that was pretty awesome. My fawn, Edgar. Now, fawns are, like I said, the half goat, half human creatures. They are associated with Pan, the, the god of the of nature, of for of the forest and of nature. And they they are lovely, they are benevolent, they are beautiful. Now I know that some of the myths and stories about Pan are quite aggressive. And, and so, you know, again, keep what resonates. Um, but there are many other fawn. And I want to just say that there's a difference between fawns and satyrs. Satyrs are also half goat, half human. And as I understand it, so the juxtaposition between these two is that fawns are lovely and kind. And satyrs are usually cast as grotesque and, you know, um, not kind you know, kind of, that, that, that they actually are a part of the god of wine. So, or they're like, what are their followers of the god of wine? That's what I should say. And that's a Greek uh, derivation. Now, this is where I start to say that there's one of two things that could be going on here. And that's just human interpretation, you know, really basically humans seeing their own shadow about something or anything. On the other hand, it could have been the reality of these ancient Greek times, 
And then on the other hand, it could be that a satyr is not a natural spirit being or, or an organic or, you know, and of course we're talking about when we say organic, we mean in the spiritual organic sense because he's not existing on the 3D plane in the same way. Um, satyrs could be cryptids. So cryptids are mostly there. If you look at a list of cryptids, you might see some on there like Sasquatch, who I think are beautiful and amazing and are natural creatures. But cryptids often have to do either with, um, I would say, manifestations of human spheres. But the other things that are placed on, so they could be like thought forms, like uh, chupacabra. Well, I don't know if chupacabra is a thought form or not. I've, ne I've never experienced it. It seems like maybe some of the things that people are seeing as these creatures that are destructive and frightening have to do with, you know, seeing thought forms from the fourth density dimension and, you know, th then they start to gain more sophistication because there are many people who are engaging with these fearful sightings. And then on the other hand, uh, there during particularly Atlantis, when Atlantis started to go from its beautiful, wonderful spiritual golden era with wonderful spiritual technology, and it started to turn a bit more toward power and it started to turn a bit dark and dense. They are said to have been doing experimentations of hybridization and that there were unnatural creatures who were manifest because they, they were technologically advanced. And so some of these cryptids that are in the human lexicon, the human memory, could be some of those creatures from Atlantean times. So I'm saying if a satyr is a half goat, half human, who's grotesque and, and all this kind of stuff, that, that could be an association with some of the gross deeds that humans were up to at the fall of Atlantis or before the fall of Atlantis. Just saying. So fawns are lovely, though. <laughs> you can connect with fawns. I would, my suggestion would be to Really be open-hearted, open-ended as you go into nature and see who is there to meet you. You And that's how I met my fawn. I never, I didn't think about inviting a fawn. I didn't think about inviting him and, and there he was. But I also want to point out that as I started this, that it was Edgar Cayce who said that the way that we experience these realms and these beings is to raise our consciousness to them. And that part of raising your consciousness to them is to mingle in the contemplation of them as well as raising your your vibration and your you know enhancing your consciousness well look at that that's exactly what i was doing even though i said this book isn't my favorite it's fine it's pretty good i was i was mingling in the contemplation of it even though it was just before i literally was mingling in the contemplation of fawns i was still in the energy of it and so the fawn met me to give me that validation of that lesson that even if before i consciously am aware that I am mingling in the contemplation of fawns, that my energy is, my energy was ahead of me. And the 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 love and the the synchronicity already knew what was happening, already knew that I was in that space in, you know, a couple of hours from then. And so met me so that I could I could have that evidence of of how that raising of your consciousness to be able to experience these realms just as real as any other realm, including the realm of the physical 3D reality. 
And so, uh, yeah, if you want to go into nature with your heart and your mind open and see who was there and you want to validate what you see, because again, because of the law of non-interference, they are not going to be able to make us believe anything. We are at, we have to honor ourselves. We have to respect ourselves. We have to trust our senses and our spiritual sensing, and we have to validate it for ourselves. This isn't about having someone or something validate something for us. This is about us using the portal of our own soul in order to validate the universe. And so, you know, you there's sometimes people will say, well, you know, they, they expect something to show up in the physical reality or something to be a physical evidence. But we're talking about realities that are that supersede physical reality. They're more subtle. And now I experienced or I experience Edgar the Fawn just as real as I experienced the tree. Because you know what I experience about the tree that makes that lights me up, that makes me feel so amazing, is I experience the soul of the tree. Even though I see the tree's physical body, I experience the soul of the tree. And that's what fills me with wonder and delight and spirit. And so Edgar is there in on this plane of spirit with all of that. And that is just as real, if not, you know, the substance of the thing that is important. So I, I would say that you may could also, as you're listening to this, you may could set the intention or the um, dispatch the invitation to commune with a fawn and uh, report back. Let me know what you let me know what you experience. Next, let's talk about leprechauns. Ages ago, I wrote a blog called "Leprechauns Are Real." That was the title of it, and the reason. That I wrote it, it was toward the very beginning of my spiritual awakening, is because the reason I wrote it is because I was having spontaneous remembrances of past lives that had to do with my Celtic heritage, which is a physical heritage as well as, you know, my soul's heritage, you know what I mean? Like past lives in in this domain of time. And I was having these spontaneous interactions with leprechauns. I didn't know leprechauns were were real. I didn't, I think when I first started experiencing them, I didn't even know that fairies were real. You know, I, I won't belabor you with all of the stories because I've told those before. And I want to just move to, you know, leprechauns. <laughs> and um, at any rate, the, the lepre- I was having all of these experiences with leprechauns. And I was also having remembrances of of the peoples of of ancient times in Ireland being driven out and driven into the land, a magical race of beings. Of, they were really human, but they were magical. Well, I don't know if they were human. I mean, they may have been ET. They may have been from other another planet. But at any rate, they were humanoid, I should say. And they were magical, and they worked with the arts and sciences, and they worked with nature and nature magic, and that there was an invasion, and that they were driven into the land. And I was having remembrances of this, and I I didn't recall ever having read this history, but it turns out what I'm saying to you, what I'm talking to you about is Tuaha Didanan. I'm sorry, I don't have, I don't currently speak the ancient Gaelic languages, but it's Tuaha Didanan. It looks like Tuatha De Danan. Danan is the, is the goddess 
that they worked with and worked, you know, they, they worshiped. And uh, Tuaha means like people. And so then I also had, um, I would say about three years into my spiritual awakening, I did a QHHT session, quantum healing hypnosis technique session with Jeroen DeWitt, who's been on the podcast a couple of times. And I had a, a very distinct past life reliving. And it seemed like it was very much the Tuaha de Danan people that I was. And it was really beautiful. And it, But here's the thing. So the Tuaha de Danan, they were magical beings. They were a magical race of beings who were overcome by the Milesians. And these Milesians were um, people who, they came from Spain, although they weren't Spanish. They were Eastern. That's what I've read. And they... You know, they had this, they had a some kind of a, a right. They were promised the right to this land, to the Emerald Land. The Tuaha were there and they fought, they fought, and they eventually overcame them and drove the Tuaha de Danan into the land. And so then within the land is where the, the people of Dana lived. And then the Milesians continued to live in, on top of the land. And... So they, the Tuaha de Danan are associated with leprechauns. Now, how this associate, are they the leprechauns? You see, at, I'm going to tell you my sort of remembrance of it, or what it is, what I am recalling or what I'm intuiting from this connection about the Tuaha de Danan and leprechauns. Well, first of all, let me say that leprechauns are said to be elves, a particular kind of elves who are woodworkers, and particularly they were said to be shoemakers, and they're magical. They have to do with prosperity, abundance, uh, joy, luck. They, uh, they were keepers of gold. They always had two gold coins in their pockets, or they have, I should, um, they're historically current. I mean, these are the his this is the myth about them, but this is still experienced by the people. Thanks for tuning in. I love you, whoever you are. And they, the, the non-magical one they would use to kind of throw someone off the, uh, uh, you know, to trick someone with so that they could protect their magical coin. And because leprechauns, you know, they're said to, you catch them and then you can, if you can hold their gaze, then they'll be forced to tell you where they're hiding their gold and, you know, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and so if, if then the leprechaun would, you know, if they could get you to break their gaze by uh, kind of tossing or, or tricking you with their non-magical coin and you broke their gaze, then they could escape you. Uh, you meaning like you're the human who, tra who tra uh, trapped them. So... <laughs> That's some of the legend of of the leprechauns. And so, I mean, that's that's fun. That's kind of fun stuff. And some of that I really do feel and I resonate with, but I actually feel like some of that has expired and that some of that had to do with humans actually mingling with the fey realm a little more um, obviously. Like humans could, were more engaged, were more capable of perceiving the nature spirit realm, the phase, the elves, and all of the deva, even if they're, you know, like the consciousness was there with them, and so they could perceive them. And now, so those stories and those activities are expired because humans don't trap leprechauns and try to 
steal their gold. It's just not how society has evolved. And so leprechauns are no longer holding on to those old, um, you know, ways either. And so the other things about leprechauns is that, you know, they're really good with money and they really love gold and they love treasures. And I really think that J.R.R. Tolkien wrote The Hobbit about leprechauns. You know, Bilbo Baggins, a lot of his characteristics remind me of leprechaun. Anyway, uh, so he, so the um, leprechauns also they they help the fairies because the fairies have unlimited abundance available to them, and and the leprechauns help them to basically keep track of their abundance of their wealth and their prosperity because fairies aren't very good at paying attention to how they have used it and spent it. <laughs> <laughs> this is again, these are the stories. They're kind of fun. And I'm like, well, of course they have it. If they have unlimited abundance, why would they care how it's been spent? You know, I don't even think that that matters. So anyway, that's <laughs> that, those are the stories about the relationship between the Fae and the leprechauns. So leprechauns are elves. Elves are of that Fae realm. Um, th but the leprechauns and these kinds of elves would be a little bit wiser. Leprechauns are wise. They're lively storytellers. They're wise. So they are more of that um, that tier of, of maturity in the fae realm. They aren't necessarily devas, or maybe they are in the sense that they oversee certain areas like gold, and they oversee prosperity and abundance and joy and wisdom and luck. Uh, but they're not devas in the sense of overseeing one of the specific elements like earth. And so that's who the leprechauns are. So my reason I'm I'm telling you about leprechauns and telling you about the Tuaha de Danan is because when the Tuaha de Danan went into the inner planes, they were magical beings, they then formed an alliance and a relationship with leprechauns and elves. And that somehow, I mean, call it they 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 became one kind of race together yet there still is distinction between the tuaha daidanan and the leprechauns but they really melted together in a pot of loving gold and so the, that's how i recall the association or that's what it feels like to me leprechauns uh, you can connect with them they are associated with ireland but we have our version of leprechauns in the in the states. There there are leprechauns in you know on on other um, continents, and so you can connect with a leprechaun not only but ones who might be local to your natural space, but also telepathically you can connect with leprechauns in any way. So I would say again, um, be open hearted, open minded, and if you have the intention and the excitement, then you may have a leprechaun show up in your contemplation or in your meditation. And they are worthy as guides because they are of the wise ilk. And um, the Tuaha de Danan, on the other hand, uh, they I don't experience them as being guides to humans. They are still working with the planet, but I don't, at least this is how I feel about it. They, If they are being guides to humans, they have ascended from their experiences as Tuaha to some other realms of light, and maybe they are they are having an ascended mastery, and you may experience them in other ways. And certainly, some of their, you know, their their leaders, their kings, and their queens, you would probably be able to connect to as an ascended master. Well, 
that's, uh, let's see, we talked about the fairies, we talked about the fawns, we talked about the leprechauns, and I called, as I said, this is the mythic beings who are ascended guides, and so these are beings who are worthy of of having a relationship with, I don't mean they are worthy, I mean it's worth to have a relationship with, to raise your consciousness around them, and just to recap the fae, you know, most of them are, they kind of, you relate to them as friends and playmates and and people, or I should say <laughs> spirits with whom you can co-create in specific areas. But then there are some fae, those in the fae realm, who are more ascended or more of the realm of wisdom, like your leprechauns or like your devas or, you know, like some of these other beings of nature. But of course, others who would be in the in the nature spirit realms, but maybe more in the ascended elemental realm, unicorns and dragons, Sasquatch, as I mentioned too, and Crystal and Compton and I on our Lightshine podcast have a whole episode on Sasquatch where Crystal's asking me all kinds of questions about Sasquatch and I'm sort of channeling the information at the time, communicating with the Sasquatch. So <laughs> I will be sure to link that below. It wasn't that long ago though. So be sure to subscribe to that podcast as well. And, I, and we do have that on the YouTube channel too. The Sasquatch is a natural being. It is, uh, they are uh, like the a hominid of this planet Earth, and they, they lived here before this race of humans did and are a part of the hybridization of the current race of humans. And they are, they are more ascended than we are, and so they are capable of using earthen portals, the magical portals, to go into different dimensions and the inner planes of the Earth as well. And they are shy and they are... Um, they are lovely, and you can telepathically communicate with them, and they are worthy to be guides to humans as well if you are attuned to that particular energy. And when I say attuned, that's not like you have to be attuned to it, like something has to happen to you. It means that you have an interest and excitement, a calling from within. You personally attune your energy to it, you, like you're churning a radio dial. You attune to them, and you... And you raise your awareness, your consciousness to perceive them. And you can have that relationship. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed this. And I want to make sure that you do know about the energy intensive that's coming up very, very soon. And this is a way to raise your consciousness to be able to perceive different uh, spectrums of energy and to be able to conduct it into healing. It is also a way to remember your soul's healing modality and that's one of the things that my leprechaun guide was telling me at the beginning of my <laughs> awakening process was that I'm an energy healer I said should I take Reiki and they say no because it'll confuse you because you need to remember your own healing modality first and that's some of some of my history and that's what we've designed the energy intensive six-week comprehensive education and coaching with Crystal and myself so that we can all help to recover and remember to ourselves, meaning we awaken that soul light dispensation into our, our incarnation about the kind of energy healer that we are. And that's, that's coming up. And then I also have some awesome things coming up in the Mystic Arts Academy, depending on when you listen to this, of course, because I don't know, you could be listening to this a year later. But I do have a really awesome workshop coming up September 12th, 2021. And it is... It is Ascended Alchemy, Modern Merlinian Magic. Merlinian meaning like Merlin, the archetype of Merlin, the wizard, the magician. 
And, you know, by the way, the Tuaha de Danan, they're magicians. Leprechauns are magicians. Fays are magicians. And working in these liminal spaces such that we are in our in our society now, by and what I mean by liminal space is by being in the 4D content of the internet. That is a liminal space. It is an interbetween. However, it is not one that is, it's kind of a wild, wild west. And so if we can we can really take management of and mastery of our magical skills to be able to channel our true spiritual technology, you know, this is really what is going to move us, to catalyze us to the beauty of the current golden age upon which we are on a precipice. And I mean that. We are at a new golden age. I really do feel that. And it's not going to come necessarily with a clash and a bang and a bomb and a, you know, a, a, a cataclysm of some kind. I think it will happen subtly and beautifully, and especially subtly and beautifully to those who are preparing for it by raising their consciousness and, and you know, stepping into their, their light and stepping into their purpose. That's what I have for you guys today, guys. Fairies, fawns, and leprechauns, get out into nature or get into your meditation and connect with these ascended guides. They're beautiful, and they would love to work with you. Thanks for tuning in. I love you, whoever you are. Hey guys, it's Trisha Carr. I have new exciting things going on with my Mystic Arts Academy. You can now subscribe to receive all of the live monthly content for about a third of the investment of a single class. Included are at least one downloadable guided meditation per month, two live events ranging from classes, channeled messages, group readings, intuitive development guidance, Q&A sessions, and tons of community. You'll also have access to a private Facebook community for fellowship and support, and this space is kept super sacred and high vibrational. Your subscription gives you access to the whole library of classes and live events, which are on a vast array of topics. All events are offered online by Zoom video call. Subscribing to the Mystic Arts Academy is also a way for you to support the Charmed Life podcast and engage on a deeper level. I'm offering the subscription at a super low rate of $22 a month. Joining now locks in this rate for as long as you're subscribed. Click on the description of this episode or go to my website, trishacarcharm.com, and click on Mystic Arts Academy. I look forward to connecting.